this time we're taking a look at the maligned yet no 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 I, I can't do this definitely not doing this for this movie run fast and run far away because we're in a really bad mood after watching howard the duck and this is force-fed sci-fi Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my very good friend and co-host, the Culp Fiction, Sean Michael Culp. <laughs> I, I I love that intro, man. <laughs> you know what? This movie is not worthy of one of my more finer analysis for an intro. Like, no. Like, there is no macro view there is no <laughs> hidden meaning there's no symbolism with howard the duck it's just <laughs> there vomited regurgitated on screen for us to watch and suffer through <laughs> no it's not even worth it uh i i i appreciate it that that was a good laugh uh, you, you know what yeah what what is this film about because you know i guess we could say this is the very first marvel film ever made in 1986 but yeah why don't you like break this down what because i had no idea what this movie was about initially okay so when an anthropomorphic duck named howard is beamed from his home on duck world to cleveland ohio so already it's a wildly unbelievable premise i mean or believable depending on who you ask that howard just winds up in cleveland i don't think anybody actually sets to move to cleveland <laughs> and if you if we do have any listeners in cleveland like i do apologize <laughs> but you you do kind of know what your city is like <laughs> and it's following this crash landing in cleveland he howard meets a young down on her luck punk rocker named beverly and along with a geeky scientist and they need to try to work together so howard can find his way home i mean i guess that's a story right you know it has all the elements of a fish out of water tale right it does but we don't get anything like that in this movie like for all i mean we see a lot of detail was poured into, you know, the clever duck puns of Duck World. Yes. Uh, and, and like that briefest bit of world building we get there. But we don't get any sort of like fish out of water elements in uh, for the rest of the movie when Howard lands on Earth. No, I mean, it, it's it's so weird. Like he lands and people immediately start attacking him. I mean, he's a giant duck. I, I don't know how I would, though, per se feel if this you know little person sized duck comes out <laughs> of the sky but i i most certainly wouldn't ride my motorcycle and try to murder the duck he goes to bars he goes to museums he goes to the unemployment office as a duck and nobody like captures him and be like "Ooh, a talking duck i'm about to be rich the lady at the unemployment office literally treats him like a person. She's like, I'm going to get you a job, young man. It's like, what kind of beer goggles are you wearing, lady? Like, this is obviously a duck. It's not a suit. It's a duck. The movie, I guess, is supposed to be a comedy, right? I guess, but it's just, it's weird the tone it takes because there's, uh, it, it, it tries to veer into the comedic range and then it tries to shoehorn in this intergalactic 
villain that Howard has to defeat, even though he's a duck and has no special <laughs> skills other than duck foo. And which is so just, stupid. And then there's weird romance elements in it too. Like so, this movie is just all over the place. This is like if they, the writers had a bunch of post-it notes written on a wall and started playing darts. And wherever the darts landed was the elements they wanted to try and incorporate in the story. They basically like took a bunch of different things and were like, let's just throw it into the story and have Howard go through these situations. That'll be funny, right? And then people just react to it. Yeah. Let's see a talking duck in random clubs and an unemployment office. People will love that. Yeah. Spoilers alert. Nobody loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we could like the director is Willard. Yuck. Right. I, I, I believe that's how you say his name. Um, yeah, Willard uh, Yuck directed this movie and wrote it with his wife, uh, Gloria Katz. And, okay, these two together also wrote American Graffiti and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So these two have experience writing and making good films. Yeah, I mean, it, it- it has the blueprint for success, right? Because they worked with George Lucas in the past and had two really good films. Yeah, so yeah, all the elements were there. And it, you also have the the technical wizard that is George Lucas serving as an executive producer on this movie. But I think that was more so they could so they could guarantee the budget of the movie and get access to industrial light and magic, which was the the visual effects your know, workhouse at the time everybody after star wars came out everybody wanted to go get their visual effects done there i mean makes sense so it's like got the blueprint for success i i also agree with you i don't know because i know george wanted to initially make this film i think in the 70s but then he focused more on star wars and I, I agree with you. I don't think he like, I don't, who knows how much he actually was involved with this. Cause I know on Wikipedia, like he's, he's supposedly like a producer, but he's not even on there on it as like a producer. I, I mean, most of the time an executive producer is a no show job. I mean, it's, it could be as simple as somebody did a favor for the director one time, or they hung around on set and actually contributed to the story a little bit. And it's like, oh, by the way, you want an EP credit? Okay, cool. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, we can see it with the special effects that they used Lucasfilm. They look clean, very nice. But outside of that, this does not have that Star Wars-esque, you know, family fun feel that maybe many people were hoping with the hype of this movie oh they tried so hard though to make this family friendly or like hey your kids can come see this like no your kids like really shouldn't see this movie i mean because at one point i mean um beverly pulls out a a duck-sized condom from (laughs) (laughs) from howard's wallet i mean even the poster itself i mean it's clearly um howard that's breaking out of uh, that egg there with a big cigar in its mouth I mean, it's, it has the makings of what you would think, um, and I know we talked about this off air, like a funny adult, maybe at that, in modern times, would be like a show on like Comedy Central, you know, or Adult Swim. Like this cartoon smoking duck that swears, gets drunk all the time, and gets into weird situations. No, but instead we get this weird, earth-romping type of movie 
that's set in Cleveland and <laughs> supposedly galactic misadventures ensue. Maybe that's the joke of it because no one ever wants to go to Cleveland. So we're going to send this duck to the worst place on the world. <laughs> oh, man. I did laugh. I, yeah, I'm with you. I did laugh when I saw, wait, Cleveland? Like, oh, I get it. Nobody sets out to live in Cleveland. I get it. It's an awful place. Ooh, even in the 80s. <laughs> but it, the film, like, really builds up, I would say, the beginning. They set up Duck World, and they spend a lot of time with, like, fake outs with the Howard. Because they don't reveal him being this, basically, what turned out to be a guy in a suit until after, kind of, like, I would say, you know, scenes where he has, like, the fridge open, and then he closes it, and you just see the hand, or he's, like you know, doing miscellaneous activities in his apartment, but they don't do the big reveal. I don't know why. Maybe that was intentional to shock the audience. I mean, that would work if your movie was just called Howard, but your movie's called Howard the Duck. <laughs> I mean, the big reveal is given away, so just lean into the skid and just show us the duck, man. The expectations were clear. <laughs> That's. I think we also talked a little bit. So it took... I believe uh, six actors to work the suit designed for Howard, correct? It was. It took a lot of hands to get this Howard going. Yeah, so there was Ed Gale, who was actually in the suit, along with um, Jordan Prentice, another super former. And then there were puppeteers Tim Rose, Steve Sleep, Peter Baird, Mary Wells, and Lisa Sturz that actually um, worked the puppetry mechanics for the suit. So this is this is a very intricate complicated design that takes a lot of people just to work for a brief what is an hour and a half long movie mm -hmm. and they have a guy as the voice so it's like we don't even there's that's a lot of hands to get this guy going and the suit i mean it kind of reminded me i i think you might remember do you remember those like mutant teenage ninja turtles movies like the live action ones it kind of reminded me of those guys where it's like eh, what is this chalk it up to 80 schlock i mean those were believable because there was i mean they were human supposed to be human sized turtles like okay like we can buy into that that's how they were written in the comics that's what we can expect from this movie instead what we get here is a dwarf sized duck Whereas if, if anybody is familiar with the comics at all, you know Howard is actually much smaller in the comics than he is in this movie. Yeah, he's really tiny. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not he's not small, but he's also not this big either. I mean, <laughs> comparatively so. I mean, if you're going to compare, I mean, uh, yeah, it's obviously a dwarf is going to tower over a duck, but Howard has a little bit of height to him, but he's not, you know, huge compared compared to everything else he is not duck size and it's 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 weird i feel like they had like this movie just to attack it is such because it's the 80s and what are you gonna do you know the special effects are okay at that time as we see with the monster you know at the end that looked pretty good but you can't do a whole movie with like a monster claymation y you know a guy in a suit uh yeah, that takes a lot of suspension of disbelief. Maybe they thought that would weave into the comedy. I thought it would work better as like an animated thing, like Roger Rabbit's. I mean, Roger Rabbit was still a couple of years away and is still a marvel in filmmaking. I think it, it would have been something that would have been a bit too 
ambitious to pull off in the mid eighties, but yeah, like I could, I mean, if they gave this the Roger Rabbit treatment, like this probably would have been a much better movie. Yeah, because then you don't gotta work. You don't have to worry about like all this, like the stunts. You don't have to worry about the puppeteers. It's just acting with a cartoon. <laughs> but they didn't have to put him in such crazy situations, or it wouldn't look as like sh- sh- like schlocky. Because I remember I was texting you while watching it, and at one point Howard Roundhouse kicks open the door to get like the uh, super military esque ex machina weapon and it was just so funny like that's what opens the door this little guy just roundhouse kicks off a lock i mean say what you will about howard he is able to hold his own in a fight many times in this movie he does he does he takes no prisoners because doesn't he beat up that guy at the bar yeah he sticks an ice pick through his earring it's like release beverly from her contract Howard, I will say I did appreciate his well at times his 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 attitude was very douchebaggery. <laughs> he was just like so miserable with his life. He was a miserable duck. But he did get into uh interesting situations. Like that last showdown with him and the villain was pretty cool. I mean, yeah, he what fake died maybe once or twice in this movie and even even that scene in the diner where all of the patrons turn on him it's like what what are we doing here because they were fine with him eating there for like five minutes and then all of a sudden they're gonna cut him up and eat him <laughs> it was just so perplexing why <laughs> why now and it like the mob they had like the mob mentality these people were not being reasoned with it took the villain to change their mind which i also will say the set and uh, special effects and like that was pretty wild like how they they wrecked that diner i mean it felt like i ron burgundy watching that scene and just looking at it going well that escalated quickly yes it did (laughs) very much so um i would say like the actors um they tried their darndest with this movie because didn't we we had uh leah thompson from uh back to the future she played beverly and she tried. I I don't know if I how I would have been able to do that scene with like where she almost wants to have intercourse with Howard. I feel like this is something, like like you were you and I were talking uh, off air beforehand, and I feel like that this is something where she read the material she got and just decided to steer into the skid and just ham it up and do the best she possibly could with what she had to work with. And she did. I mean, she tried her darndest. She wore those big 80s hair. She she tried her darndest. Same thing with Tim Robbins, which I was really shocked. I couldn't believe it was him initially as Phil uh, Blumbert, the scientist. I, I saw him. I'm like, is that Tim Robbins? He's so energetic and young. He, I did like him in this movie. I felt he tried his hardest. Yeah, before Tim Robbins became the, the actor we know him now, yeah, he was... In a very crappy Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, because nowadays he's not, he's much more like reserved in his role. So it was kind of weird seeing Tim Robbins so energetic and um, I guess expressive, so big. I mean, he found his style after this movie, and I think that's what he's been doing for the last 40 odd years. So, hey, good on you, Tim Robbins. Yeah, I mean, he got an Oscar for it, I think. So, kudos. <laughs> I mean, Jeffrey Jones also, I, I thought he hammed it up as the villain. 
And Jeffrey Jones is one of those guys, I think he was big in like the the 80s and like early 90s. He was always like that side, sometimes like the villain that would come in. And um, I can't, I don't think he was in Die Hard. No, he was in Beetlejuice. And um, you know, he's like that face that you know if you saw him. But he, he, I really liked him. I was very shocked with his acting chops in this movie as well. Yeah, he was um, the dad in Beetlejuice. He was also the um, the main principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off who tried to catch Ferris Bueller. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He showed his chops, man. He showed his chops. Uh, it was, I think, like out of, for like notable people, I would say it was like him, Tim Robbins and Leah Thompson. They tried their darndest. They tried. They, they, A for effort. A for Definitely effort. A for effort. <laughs> but it's hard when you have such a horrible, like, screenplay. I mean, and even I found this when I was researching this, like, during screenwriting, the, they made a conscious decision to focus on the special effects rather than the story. And it shows. I mean, because okay. obviously it looks like the sizable budget of um I couldn't find an exact number but it looks like 30 and between 30 and 37 million dollars it looks like half of it went to that freaking suit puppet thing i would i would say so and you're absolutely right like i mean it's funny that that's how like the first marvel films started out with because like marvel film films today that's kind of like how they get their movies made they have like the action scenes and special effects made like years before they actually do the film but i would say this is it shows over the span of 40 years how you know you could still have good special effects but it all you need is a story even a little bit and it'll improve it immensely yeah you've got to have some seed of a story or some purpose that you want your hero to go on and this is just i mean it's pointless for lack of a better word like there is no grand arc for howard he's still very much the same person when the movie or duck i should say when the movie begins and when it ends there's no i mean beverly finds success as a rocker phil is no longer a scientist and and dr jenning is just i don't know still experimenting with big government lasers i don't know there's just (laughs) there's there's no point to anything that happens in the movie i guess like howard has a mini arc where like he he now works a job that he enjoys <laughs> and he's okay with staying at earth, but, but he still wanted to go back home. Like Howard would have taken his, you know, it wasn't like one of those films where the person does the fish out of water and they're like, you know what? I'm okay. If I don't come back and they have the option, but they turn it down. No, Howard's like, well, I guess I'm stuck here. I'll just be your manager. Yeah, just be the manager and occasionally hop on stage with you to have an inexplicable guitar solo. Yes, that is reminiscent of Back to the Future and have a song named after you. Which I got to say, like, I tried listening to that song again because, I mean, one of the highlights of 80 Schlocky Sci-Fi Month is we've had some good music so far. And I tried listening to this song again and I was just like, nope, this this song's terrible. I got I to gotta shut it off. Complete garbage. <laughs> there's these inexplicable grunts in it that are like i cannot make sense of it's like why do you have these strong ooze in the in in the middle of these verses it's just uh no it's it's an awful song the choices that people make are perplexing chris particularly with this movie 
<laughs> it was made on a decent budget. Uh, it's uh, I just don't understand. There's not much <sighs> to this movie. It's literally just Howard the Duck in different situations. And I guess trying, like, the overarching mission is, like, to get him back home. But it still feels like hash because... You know, they don't know how he got there. And they're kind of like, well, let's let's try it. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) You know, this and this would normally be the point in the episode where we kind of dive into, you know, the, the, the symbolisms or the hidden meanings or the character conflicts. But, you know, as Sean and I have been saying, there there's nothing even close to that that we can remotely unpack from this movie and uh, this i mean we could certainly share whatever thoughts we have in in a brief you know span of a few minutes but man, man i gotta say like there is probably nothing i enjoyed about this movie really i okay that's okay i the only things i enjoyed like some of the humor occasionally and then, um, like the acting, like the uh, the overacting, occasionally, and then like the special effects, like the uh, the big alien at the end was cool for the time. Like I respected it, but like outside of that, yeah, it was really punny and just kind of eh. not as bad as uh, a flodger a flodrant sound of thunder or Battlefield Earth. No, those are on our rush Mount Rushmore of awful science fiction movies but i mean yeah, like the humor like yeah there were certainly moments in it that made me chuckle but you know what's that old adage even a broken clock is right twice a day it's just <laughs> th- the rest of the movie is just packaged in this awful offensive 90 minute thing like even the the big creature effect at the end of the movie like yeah sure i i can see how people would enjoy it but we've watched movies that have come out before this that have had similar effects and they don't look nearly as bad as this does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's shocking that this has a cult following. It's, I think if there's one thing as well to take away from 80 schlocky or 80 schlock series is that we shouldn't be surprised at what gains a cult following anymore. Cause <laughs> Dune, the original Dune has a cult following. Um, Flash Gordon has a cult following. I think like, you could pick any 80s movie out of a hat and it, there's going to wind up being some sort of cult following behind it. <laughs> right? Three out of our four films have cult followings. Is it because they're bad? I don't know if they're bad. I just think that they were a lot. Of, several of them have been misguided in their attempts. Like Dune, we know why Dune was bad. It's because they tried to convince, uh, condense a 600-page novel into two hours Weird Science was problematic for a lot of sexist and misogynistic reasons. Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, I don't know if it was truly bad. I just don't think that making a Batman-esque space romp like Star Wars, you know, basically turn Star Wars but give him the campy Batman treatment was the right call. And this, this is Howard the Duck is just this is just bad filmmaking. It is. It's bad script writing. It's just bad all around. It's it's not technically bad because they have the money so the sets like it's not you know it's not like something like the battlefield earth but it's just bad like the story the tone just doesn't hit it's confusing 
It's like, what is the point of this movie? There is no point. And I think that's what is the saddest part about it. And it's, I mean, we also have the benefit of having like 25 years of time to really kind of parse out the impact or um, the infamy that has been Howard the Duck. And and this is a this is a good chance for us to really kind of take an extended look at the legacy that is this movie. And this is this is something we really have the chance to do in in our regular format. But you know, since there really isn't anything worth unpacking to Howard the Duck, other than the legacy or the infamy, let's just get into that. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. It uh, it did not gross money that much money i mean it it did make its budget right like 38 million yeah it made 38 million but even if the production budget was 37 million and you only make 38 million you cover the production budget you don't cover the marketing or promotion or anything like that so this movie i would probably say lost in the neighborhood of 40 million dollars that sucks <laughs> but not shocking i mean not shocking but i mean they knew that this was a stinker and I've, I've read several stories that um, like apparently test screenings with audiences went well. There were some that went well, there were some that went poorly, but the biggest indicator was when they screened it for studio executives. And at the end of the movie, the executives just got up and walked out without saying a word. No. Oh my gosh. Really? They had nothing to say about this movie. And as a filmmaker, if nobody, if your bosses or the people you sign contracts for have nothing to say about the work you just did for them, run, apologize, kiss whatever feet you have to, or do whatever you can to make sure that movie never sees the light of day. But you, <laughs> they should have known they made a stinker. God, that's how you know. It, this film has made me speechless, but not in a good way. Because <laughs> the critics lambasted this film. I know, like, Siskel gave it, like, one star out of four, and he called it stupid. And says this film, the story has no center, the duck is not likable, and the special effects are less impressive than a sparkler on a birthday cake. <laughs> Ooh. That is savage. I mean, now I know why Gene Siskel and Robert Ebert got together because they probably just wanted to see who could write the better insults. God, that is awful. Yeah. I mean, even um, legendary critic Leonard Moulton got into it, and he uh, echoed a lot of what you were saying, too. He actually questioned why the movie wasn't animated in the first place. Well, <laughs> it's just it just seems like such a waste of money. Well, and I think having it animated, like even if it even if it got the Roger Rabbit treatment like you were talking about, or if they went full animation, I think a fully animated movie would have enabled audiences to really suspend their disbelief, really kind of buy into this ridiculous premise of a movie, but but give Howard his edge back, give him, you know, the hard drinking, womanizing rudeness and crassness that is the original character and you have a precursor for all sorts of raunchy animated r-rated comedies that we now get to enjoy today like like family guy would have been just a poor imitation of an animated howard the duck exactly and they didn't want to go for it because i'm sure they were like it, i'm sure it had something to do with like kids and toys and 
So they didn't want it to be all the way bad because you got to market it to the kids. But there's like nothing good. Like even the epic scenes, quote unquote, the chase and battle scenes take forever. They go on way too long. Like that glider scene. It was like, dude, let's just end this. Yeah, that's about three minutes longer than it needs to be. There's no reason for it to stretch on as long as it does. Yeah, like if I was a kid, I would be bored to tears. <laughs> be like, what is this weird looking duck thing doing? <laughs> and as you know, as much as the contemporary reviews at the time crapped on it, modern reviews haven't been kind either. No, it's got a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a twenty eight on Metacritic. And oddly enough, it has a B minus on Cinema Score, and I cannot figure out for the life of me why it has a B minus. That is wild. I don't know. I, like, maybe that's where the cult following is. It's got to be like like similar to how video games get review bombed by trolls. Like this has got to be the, the the opposite of that, right? Like this is, has to be people who like, oh, the character's not all that bad. Like, yeah, the movie's crappy, but let's try to save them. Like, n- no, you're you're doing it. Dis- you're tricking people into watching this movie is what you're doing. Yes. You're just making people angry and distrustful of movie of studios and directors and all of that. No, don't do that. I mean, I mean that gratefully this movie was so bad that they didn't get a sequel. No. I mean the, uh, uh was it Gloria Katz and Willard Yuck? They actually fled to Hawaii and refused to read any <laughs> bad reviews when they found out the movie bombed. That is hilarious. <laughs> they didn't want to deal with the reality of the situation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can I can definitely understand that because, I mean, we've all had screw-ups before, and what's the first thing we want to do when we massively screw up? We want to go home and crawl under the covers and pretend nobody saw what we did. Oh, but it's here. It's etched in history forever. I mean, this film, even like the 86 Razzie Awards, it won Worst Picture. Worst picture, worst screenplay, worst new star for all the people they had work in the Howard puppet, <laughs> worst visual effects. <laughs> That's not all. It was even nominated for worst director, worst supporting actor, and worst original song. So, I mean, I mean, when you talk about like bad movies of the 1980s, like Howard the Duck is up there or down there, depending on you know your view of bad movies. Yeah. It won Worst Film of the Decade, Worst Picture of the Decade, or it was nominated, sorry, in 1989, which is pretty hefty to like be that bad of a film to be on the Worst Film of the Decade, Worst Picture of the Decade. That's no bueno. I just want to just for I just want to see like who won for, you know, (laughs) (laughs) apparently Mommy Dearest won Worst Picture of the Decade for the Razzies. I mean, I haven't seen that, but I kind of get like why, <laughs> why that one. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's funny. God. And then, and then in that same uh, year, Sylvester Stallone won Worst Actor of the Decade. So yeah, I get it. The Razzies seem like they know what they're doing. They do, and I love their awards because they're so savage. You know, that I love how. <laughs> the worst new stars, the six guys and gals in the duck suit. That's fantastic. I mean, I love the the people who actually um like show up to accept their Razzie in person. Mm-hmm. Like this like all right, it's like okay, just uh just having fun with it. Um 
like Halle Berry accepted her uh, Razzie award in person. Uh, Paul Verhoeven accepted a, a Razzie in person. Like there are some people who take it in stride and just have fun with it. Cause everyone knows like, it's like, it's not serious. It's just like, yeah, you, you made a, you made a crappy product. Here you go. Here's your prize. Well, I think Holly Berry even brought her Oscar. Cause that was like the same year that she won, <laughs> won the Oscar for, I think, I can't remember the movie she was in, but maybe monster. But I remember she it was a, it was Monsters Ball. Monsters. So you were you were close. Yeah, and she and she got a Razzie for Catwoman. So I remember that video. Check it out on YouTube. It's pretty funny because she's just laughing the whole time. But they do. I mean, on the plus side, the actor Ed Gale that played, you know, he said that he gets uh, more fan mail for his Howard the Duck portrayal than his Chucky performances from uh, Child's Play. So I guess that's nice. I'm- yeah, it's nice. I mean, I mean, people blame the 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 appropriate people. Yeah, who made this? Who made this movie? I mean, I mean, Ed Gale even uh, worked on Spaceballs after this movie because Mel Brooks, <laughs> who said, <laughs> I think Mel Brooks kind of wanted to try and redeem the cast or at least give them a second chance by putting them in Spaceballs. So, I mean, Mel Brooks, legendary nice man. Legendary nice man, absolutely. And, and you know, despite the film for, like, being as trash as it is, you know, like we said, Tim Robbins, he, he was able to resurrect his career. Like, Shawshank Redemption really set him on the map. Not much for Leah Thompson, though. I mean, I mean, bless her heart, she tried. I mean, she was still, she was in the the remaining two back to the future films after this movie came out. Let's see. I'm look, pulling up her filmography right now. Like, um, yeah, she did, um, you know, the back to the future films, Dennis, the menace, and then kind of dropped off in the, in the mid to late two thousands. I think she was starting a family raising children and, but, yeah, I mean, she she had to work hard to win back some respectability after this movie. Yeah, I mean, she tried. She even apparently she even pitched to Marvel Studios a new Howard the Duck film after like because Howard, you know, I guess we could talk a little bit. Howard is now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's he's like reduced to cameos, but like Leah Thompson, she like wanted to direct a new Howard the Duck film herself. And she has just been pressing Marvel since like 2018 to get them to uh, do a new film. Uh, but I guess Marvel, you know, they passed. <laughs> they said, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. I mean, if we were ever going to create a force-fed sci-fi bingo card, I never would have put a square on there that says, actor in a bad film tries to redeem it by making a better new version. I never would have put that on there. No. <laughs> Me either. Oh. Maybe, but Leah Thompson is actually kind of transitioned into directing. She's actually, um, she's directed a couple episodes of the new season of Picard, which is oh, cool. uh, now streaming on Paramount Plus. And she's also uh, doing a couple episodes for um, the sci-fi channel's a uh, big uh, comedy hit resident alien with Alan Tudyk. So she has experience directing it's, but I just don't think Marvel wants to buy what she's selling. No, I mean, I think it's just with Howard, the duck, that's just such, it's one of those comics that I don't think you can really turn into a movie. It's, it's, it's definitely something that should be on like adult swim comedy central, 
especially now with the age of like Rick and Morty, Family Guy, all that. Like, I feel like a Howard the Duck would do great, an animated short now. Like, but in a movie form, I just don't see it. Oh, I would watch a Dan Harmon created Howard the Duck cartoon if it's in a similar style like Rick and Morty any day of the week. That is not a hard sell with me. It's great. That would be entertaining as hell. Because, like, what do you think of Howard in, like, the MCU? I mean, it's cool. He's a cameo, but I don't think he adds much. No, the character is fun how he exists now. Like, like his cameos in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are fun. His little blink-and-you-miss-it cameo in Avengers Endgame is fun. And, I mean, he's featured on a couple episodes on What If um, on the, the Disney Plus series, but... I think the way the MCU has Howard now should be the way he continues to exist in, in that universe. He doesn't need a big story. He does works better as an ancillary character. You can have Thor or whoever do all of the heroics and let Howard be the crass drinking anthropomorphic duck that he is. There's no reason to give him a grand big story. I definitely going to agree with you there. It just doesn't. Nah. And isn't Seth Green the voice of him? He is, but Seth Green like is one of the most prolific voice actors that is working in Hollywood right now. I mean, he basically does every voice on Robot Chicken, for God's sakes. Yes, which kudos to that show. Fantastic movie. Fantastic show. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, this movie is just uh, no bueno. <laughs> This movie is a dumpster fire that's headed for a landfill and is about to set the landfill on fire. Like, it is. <laughs> that is what this movie is. Are we putting in the uh, delete from my memory? Oh, yeah. This is a this is a hard wood erase from my memory in a, in a heartbeat. I want the neuralizer from Men in Black to <laughs> erase any trace of this movie from me. Because I just, I don't want to know that I've watched it. I don't want to remember that I've watched it. I agree. <laughs> There's really nothing great. Uh, it's it's a very easy pass. This isn't a, like this is a hard pass for me. Never again. I can't believe George no. though still wanted like he supported this movie, like all the way till its end. Yeah, he supports this movie, and yet he'll go back and make changes to the original Star Wars films every chance he gets. So. His priorities are a little mixed up, in my opinion. I totally agree. Like, no, George, no. They, I mean, he just really wanted it to be successful, but you know, you just got to deal with the reality of it, man. It's a stinker. Like this, this you're cool with, but you got to add stormtroopers on Banthas in Star Wars: A New Hope. Okay, we we know where your head's at then. <laughs> priorities, folks. Priorities. <laughs> well, that's that. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the easiest episode we've ever had. <laughs> Maybe, but this was like ripping off a bandage talking about how crappy this movie was again. <laughs> it always is with these films that are just so lousy. You're like, well, there's really nothing to it. <laughs> At least with Battlefield Earth, we had like Scientology crap to unpack. With this, there's just nothing. You're it's vapid. It's a black hole of symbolism. Yeah. I mean, teleportation. I don't even know what they... They don't even describe the science. So there's, like, really no good science to discuss with this thing. 
Teleporting from a different planet using a black hole. What? Yeah, and I'm not talking about the the science of ducks because this isn't National Geographic. Mm -mm. Which that condom was anatomically incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. A little bit of toxic fandom for anybody who's interested. (laughs) That is Sean's toxic fandom. Uh, uh, I'm... Yeah, as as I as Sean and I mentioned, uh, I'm I'm giving this a wood erase from my memory. <laughs> There's nothing redeeming about this movie. There's no quality to take away from it. No hidden meaning. No symbolism. No real good character arcs, and no real science either. It's just there. It offensively exists. That's I would erase this from my memory in a second if I had the option to do so. <laughs> what about you, Sean? Yeah. I I I don't know. Like this film is is terrible. It's just terrible, as uh, Charles Barkley would say. And I would put this as a would not watch. It is uh, it is not a would erase from my memory just because some of like the things I did like I didn't hate it through and through, but it is a terrible film. And uh, yeah, I, I I will never watch this movie again ever in my life i hope to god i never get the chance because no no i feel like this would be purgatory is just like sitting there or like hell would be like just being strapped to a chair watching howard the duck for the rest of my existence no sean's good uh we're we're both good we don't ever need to watch howard the duck ever again thankfully (laughs) but chris what are we gonna watch next well, we're going to do another series of films. Sean and I are uh, experimenting with theme months where one of us picks a theme, and that's going to be our next series of films. And I have the honor of choosing next month's theme, and I can think of no better way than to honor the genre of science fiction than by reviewing some of the movies by one of the greatest directors that's ever lived. We're going to discuss some of Steven Spielberg's great science fiction contributions to the big screen and to kick off spielberg month we are talking close encounters of the third kind his original science fiction film the one where he actually had a weird bet with george lucas about whether his movie or star wars would gross more money so we are (laughs) gonna dive into the maestro of steven spielberg Woo! i am pumped Especially for that film, Close Encounters. I've never seen that. So I I am excited for this epic sci-fi. Awesome. Uh, well, it is always a pleasure to discuss these movies with you, Sean. Be them good or bad. <laughs> and this is definitely one of the bad ones. Likewise, my good sir. It is always a pleasure, Chris. I am grateful for this. <laughs> uh, me too, my friend. And if you enjoyed this uh, this episode, or if not, You know, we're just a podcast. We can't tell you what to think. (laughs) Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your audio. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. And so for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. 